you want to stand? Or... <clears throat> Many of you don't know this, but uh, I have a side job. <clears throat> Catch HBO, you'll see me on Slam Poetry. Beatnik Steve, the poet, they call me. <laughs> me and my man here want to do a little something for you. It's an interpretation from Taylor Molly's poem called Totally Like Whatever. You know? <laughs> Take it away. In case you hadn't noticed, it has somehow become uncool to sound like you know what you're talking about or believe strongly in, in what you're saying. Invisible question marks and parenthetical you knows have been attaching themselves to the end of our sentences even when those sentences aren't like questions. You know? <laughs> Declarative sentences, so-called because they used to, like, declare something to be true as opposed to other things that are, like, not have been infected by a totally hip and tragically cool interrogative tone? <laughs> you know? Like, don't think I'm uncool just because I noticed this. This is just like the word on the street, you know? It's like what I've heard. I have nothing personally invested in my own opinions, okay? I'm just inviting you to join me in my uncertainty? <laughs> what has happened to our conviction? Where are the limbs out on once we which, which we used to walk? Have they been like chopped down with all the rainforest? Or, or, or do we have, like, nothing to say? Has society become so totally, I mean, absolutely, you know? <laughs> that we've gotten, just gotten to the point where it's just like, whatever? And so actually, our disarticulation-ness <laughs> is just a clever sort of 
thing to disguise the fact that we've become the most aggressively inarticulate generation to come along since, you know, a, a long, long time ago. I entreat you, I implore you, I exhort you, I challenge you to speak with conviction, to say what you believe in a manner that bespeaks the determination with which you believe it. Because contrary to the wisdom of the bumper sticker, it is not enough these days to simply question authority. You have to speak with it too. It's a great poem. I just heard that recently when we were out in Seattle. Like I read that poem and I was like, oh my gosh. That is so true of our culture. So true of our culture. <laughs> where, where we're just we're afraid to tell people something. You know, you might have a flat tire. You know, I mean, you, you got a flat tire. I mean, it's okay. It's okay to just tell people things. We're in a series right now called The Church on Fire, a study of the book of Acts. We're going to see today where Paul is about as straightforward with people who have absolutely no idea what he's talking about, and still he shoots at them real straight. If you want to open up your Bible to Acts chapter 14, Paul is... Paul and Barnabas are on their first missionary journey. And they are now moving to a place called Lystra. It's going to be, they're going to go to Lystra and then a place nearby called Derby, And then they're going to head back for this first missionary journey to be, to be done. We're going to see Paul as he's going, to, he's going to declare something very, very straightforward and very, very clear. We're going to look at this in just four paragraphs. If you've got a New International Version in front of you, which is what I'll be reading from, it's broken into four paragraphs. We're just going to kind of look at this uh, paragraph by paragraph. First verses, verses 8, uh, we're going to read 8 through 20 this morning. We're going to look at the first uh, three verses first. In Lystra, there sat a man crippled in his feet, who was lame from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul as he was speaking. Paul looked directly at him, saw that he had faith to be healed, and called out, stand up on your feet. At that, the man jumped up and began to walk. Now, this is an amazing miracle in Acts. Uh, we, this is very similar to the, the miracle we saw in Acts chapter 4 that Peter did to the, the guy waiting outside the temple. Peter says, stand up, grab your mat, and walk. And this is the same thing. And, and Luke, the author of the book of Acts, who wrote these words, he, he doesn't tell us much more about this other than this is what happened. We've got to land here for just a second, though. This is an amazing miracle. He looks at this man and sees that he has faith. Now, that's a gift. Some of you in this room maybe have a gift like that where you can look at someone and say, you know what, I feel God's going to do something and that you have the faith to believe it, and you pray for him and it happens. 
I don't know many times in my life that something like that has happened where I've been able to see like that. Like Paul said, he could saw that the man had faith to be healed. My encouragement to you is just pray anyway. If you don't necessarily sense that, go ahead and pray. Pray that God would do an amazing work. What this is here for is to set the stage. This miracle happens and this crowd that's gathering sees this miracle and something amazing happens. Look at verse 11. When the crowd saw what Paul had done, they shouted in the Laocidian, La, La, Laconian, I didn't practice that, Laconian language. That's interesting. You got to know that. Paul does not know this language. Smart guy, but Paul and Barnabas would not have known this this separate language. And so they're doing stuff and Paul and Barnabas are not knowing what's going on. They say, the gods have come down to us in human form. So they're saying that and Paul and Barnabas are like, oh, aren't they being nice? They're smiling or something, you know? And they're saying, the gods have come to us in human form. Barnabas, they called Zeus. And Paul, they called Hermes because he was the chief speaker. The priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the city, brought bowls and wreaths to the city gates because he and the crowd wanted to offer sacrifices to them. So you get this scene. Paul and Barnabas are there. They don't understand this language. They don't know what's going on. They just see these people coming and they're like, like, like really being excited that they're there. And you're, you're kind of like, oh, this is, this is cool. This is kind of neat. What, what's going on? And then finally they realize that they're going to start to offer sacrifices to him. Now, how would you respond? Here you are, Paul and Barnabas, and these people are just going to think you're a god. Now, I know it's Paul and Barnabas, and I know you've read the rest of this uh, before him, but you've got to stop for a second and go, that'd be a little tempting to go, I could milk the god thing for a couple hours, you know. <laughs> I could set them straight later, but this is really cool. I mean, they're all bowing, and it's just, there'd be a slight temptation to go, it was kind of cool. You know, I did heal this guy. Don't, don't put Paul and Barnabas on some kind of like there's some other, they had these struggles too. That's not how they respond. They overcame it, verse 14. But when the apostles Barnabas and Saul heard of this, in other words, they didn't know what was going on yet. When they heard of this, they tore their clothes. An observant Jew would tear his clothes for blasphemy. Somebody blasphemed, they would rip their clothes and rushed out to the crowd, shouting, and here's the message Paul gave them. And I'm going to read this, first of all, how we would say it today. Men, why are you like, you know, you know, doing? We are, you know, we're, we're like, you know, like, like you, like. And we, 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 we got, we got good, um, good things and, what we really want to tell you is um, uh, this stuff, uh, maybe not, and um, <laughs> the, the other stuff, maybe so, you know, that, um, yeah, and, and, and this other stuff, this other stuff, this other big stuff is, um, well, he kind of made the stuff, and, 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 and beforehand, he, it, you know, it was okay, but, you know, but, but, you know, he, he also, he, he, this other, he's kind of told you about this, you know, okay. Uh, he, he, he's, he's shown you, um, in, in the good stuff, the, the, the rain thing, and, and the crops thing, and, and, uh, and, and, and the happy thing. 
So Paul says, Paul unloads on people who know very, very little about anything, about what Judaism is about, about the Bible, about anything. He unloads them. Look what he says. He says, men, why are you doing this? We too are only men, human like you. We are bringing you good news. And listen to this. Telling you to turn from these worthless things to the living God. Now, if, that, if you didn't feel the sting there, you should. They got the priest of Zeus standing right there. They're ready to offer sacrifices. They've got hundreds and hundreds of years of story. And Paul says, you know what? Turn from these worthless things to the living God. He's the one who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. And just to let you know how he feels about this, in the past, he let all nations go their own way. He's not going to do that anymore. Yet he has not left himself without testimony. He has shown kindness by giving you rain from heaven and crops in their seasons. He provides you with plenty of food and fills your hearts with joy. Even with these words, they had difficulty keeping the crowd from sacrificing them. Paul lays it on heavy. Paul doesn't pull any punches. He says, this is the way it is. Look how they respond. Look at verse 19. It says, Then some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and won the crowd over. They stoned Paul. That means they picked up good-sized rocks, stoned him, hit him everywhere, and probably including the head, and they dragged him outside the city. They dragged him out and thought he was dead. But after the disciples had gathered round him, and we're not clear if, if they healed him or prayed for him or just revived him, he got up and went back into the city. The next day, he goes back into the city. But the next day, he and Barnabas left for Derbe. Now, listen, he gives this message, and this is maybe not all of it, maybe he told more of the story too, but he tells this message, and, and what is the response? They don't listen to him. They keep sacrificing, many of them. The Jews come around and they win over the crowd and they try to kill him. Oh, okay. That's what the cost is of saying the truth. So that's why we as a culture say, you know what? I'm not going to talk about religion or politics. Because you know what? They'll ignore me. They'll start to make coups against me. Or they'll stone me or whatever the uh, modern-day equivalent of that would be. Paul here's a guy who says it's straight up. Here's the message. Turn from worthless things to the living God. Now, I'm about as Norwegian as they get. Uh, Treichler is a German name. My mother's maiden name is Tollerud, with two A's and dots above the A's, okay? I mean, we're talking... We're talking Norwegian. And if you're anything, if you know anything about Norwegians, like I do, and I'm going to rip on them because I is one, <laughs> we tend to never say anything to your face. We tend to just say, oh, that's okay. And then we go to someone else and say, they suck. <laughs> that's just the Norwegian way. 
You never know where you stand with a, with a Norwegian. Because they, they, and I'm sorry, I'm just ripping on half the people in this room. <laughs> this is a struggle for me. It's a huge struggle for me to say, you know what? You gotta just speak truthfully. You just gotta speak the truth in love. But you know what? Sometimes you just gotta let it hang out. This morning, I wanna challenge you with, with the same challenge. I wanna entreat you, I wanna exhort you, I wanna implore you, as Taylor Molly would say, with the same thing that Paul exhorted them. Turn from worthless things to the living God. Turn from worthless things to the living God. I was praying about this before and I said, Lord, during worship, I said, Lord, what, what, what examples would you have for me to share with my congregation about what is the worthless things they're struggling with? And I felt like, and felt like the answer was, give them a minute. So I'm just going to give you a few seconds for you to do business with God. What is the worthless thing you're holding on to? What is the thing that you're worshiping the created versus the creator? What is the thing that's distracting you from turning to the living God? Some of you have been a follower of Christ for a long time, but yet there's things in this world that have just gripped you. Some of you are more like these people. You're, you're ready to, you know, you're ready to, to slaughter a cow and to, to worship Zeus or something. My encouragement to you is the same thing. Turn to the living God. So I'm just going to give you a second. If you just want to close your eyes just for a second, and I'm just going to give you a second. What is the living, th what, is, excuse me, what is the worthless thing the Bible calls these things idols? They're created things that we can create. You can make it out of stone or wood or whatever, or it can be a whatever. What are those things? Just close your, your eyes for a second. Ask God, God, what are those things I'm holding on to? What's the worthless thing that I'm hanging on to that's choking off my relationship with you? Now, Paul says to turn from that. The, the Bible word for that is repent. Repent basically means <clears throat> turning around. You're holding on to one thing, you let go of it, you turn to another thing. I want to tell you two things about these things that came to your mind. I want to tell you two things about them. They're both in the Old Testament. They both involve idolatry, holding on to worthless things, holding on to, to created things instead of the creator for life. Two things. The first one's from the book of Isaiah. Verses 13 through 20. God is speaking and he says this. He says, The carpenter measures with a line and makes an outline with a marker. He roughs it out with chisels and marks it with compasses. He shapes it in the form of man, of man in all its, his glory that it may dwell in a shrine. He cuts down cedars or perhaps took a cypress or oak. He let it grow among the trees of the forest or planted a pine and the rain made it grow. It is man's fuel for burning. Some of it he takes and warms himself. He kindles a, a fire and bakes bread. So part of this tree he's making fire with. But he also fashions a god and worships it with the other half. He makes an idol and bows down to it. Half of the wood he burns in the fire. Over it he prepares his meal. He roasts his meat and eats his fill. He also warms himself and says, Ah, I am warm. I see the fire. From the rest he makes a god. His idol, he bows down to it and worships. 
He prays to it and says, save me, you are my God. They know nothing. They understand nothing. Their eyes are plastered over so they cannot see and their minds closed so they cannot understand. No one stops to think. No one has the knowledge or understanding to say, half of it I use for fuel. I even baked bread over its coals. I roasted meat and I ate. Shall I make a detestable thing from what is left? Shall I bow down to a block of wood? He feeds on ashes. A deluded heart misleads him. He cannot save himself or say, is not the thing in my right hand a lie? First thing you need to know about worthless things that you're holding on to is it is a lie. Doesn't mean that the things you're holding on to can be very good things. And they're made for your enjoyment, but they are never made for your worship. Never. One creator, many created. Stop worshiping the shadow and turn and look at the mountain that casts the shadow. It's a lie that it will fill you. It's a lie. Second thing from Jeremiah 20, uh, verse 2. Has a nation ever changed its gods, yet they are not gods at all? God is speaking about Israel here. But my people have exchanged their glory, they're talking about himself, for worthless idols. Be appalled at this, O heavens, and shudder with great horror, declares the Lord. My people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. Second lie is this, or excuse me, second thing about worthless things is they are broken. They cannot fill you. They will not satisfy you. It's like drugs. You take a little bit, whoa, that was great. I need a little bit more. I need a little bit more. I need a little bit more. Or sex, premarital or un... Uh, Outside the bounds of marriage sex. Oh, that, that felt great. But I need a little bit more to satisfy me. Or more, or more, or more. You can put anything else in that blank. Whatever it is. You need a little bit more to satisfy you. Why? Because it's not the thing that's made to satisfy you. God was made to satisfy you. Repent of it. Turn from it. I ask you as a friend, I ask you as a pastor, I pray you'd keep me accountable to turn from worthless, worthless things to living God. Let's pray together. God, there are so many things that want to scream for our attention. There are so many things that we don't carve idols anymore. I don't make an idol out of Granite. I don't worship Zeus. But at times I worship my free time. Or I worship all the relationships in my life not having tension in them. I put those things above even just being right with you. And God, I just want to seek your forgiveness. I want to turn from that. Lord, there are a million things that can take our attention from you. The enemy is not stupid. He knows how to attack us. 
And I pray, God, for the people in this room that the message of Paul, a hard message it is in a culture when we don't like to hear hard messages, hard messages it is, God, that we would be people who turn. We'd be people who radically turn. God, we'd be people who root out sin. One reason because it displeases you, but other reason because it robs us of our joy. God, you just do that work in our lives. You'd make us be people who want to be hardcore about following you, the living God, and that in our midst we'd see all kinds of radical miracles happening. Lord, I pray for us. Maybe one of the idols we have is just peace in our families. Many of us are going to be around family members just in a few days around the Thanksgiving dinner, and and the topic of you will come up, and and it might be a time to to talk about you, and, and it might be uncomfortable. And everyone may not like us. They didn't like Paul. God, would you give us the courage to know that you're at work and it's not just our words, but it's your power? Help us to turn from things we hold on to, God, that are not of you, that do not point us to you. We pray this in Christ's name.